Welcome to The Review. My name is Kevin. I'm Matthew. I'm Sarah. I'm Tristan. And I'm Remy. And today we are going to be starting our review of Kiara Cass's The Selection series, her first book, The Selection. Cass's The Selection series, her first book, The Selection. Uh, now, this is a review podcast. There will be some spoilers, but only up through the chapters that we have currently read. And those chapters are going to start with one and two, just the first 24 pages of the book. Um, and I guess we'll start with just a sh really short synopsis of what we read. Um, does anyone feel inclined to begin first? Maybe someone that's read the whole series does a synopsis and then one of us who does like a week synopsis because we're not it should be said that there are a couple of us who have read the series in its entirety uh some of us who are in the middle of the series Ew. in its entirety and some of us who are just starting so have read the first two chapters first two the chapters first some kira cast virgins here um oh god just the tip. yeah we're getting the explicit tag i guess with this one just uh, the tip just the tip and we went there. <laughs> um, okay, so I guess the three of us will start with the review, and then you guys can give an even shorter review from what you guys gather. Or do you guys want to go first? I feel like they should go first. Yeah. Um, we can go first. Yeah. Let's... Okay, 30 seconds, yeah. 30 seconds. Do we want to put them on? A... Yeah. Are it. we building yeah. off of each other? Yeah. Or... Oh, no, yeah, together. You guys are working okay. for it. This is tag team. Oh, I'm ready to go. Oh, okay, I'm ready. So, Solo. Right, wait, are you timing? Yeah, we got 30 seconds here. Okay, so it starts with a girl. Her name is America Singer. She lives in a caste system in what seems to be some post-World War, like some some po like future place. That's I'm, I'm not ambiguous technology level. Yeah, and she gets a letter that she could go and meet the prince of this what used to be United States. Ten seconds. Oh shoot! <laughs> but this selfish girl doesn't want to, and then she uh, finds her. You find out her boyfriend, and, uh, and he he's tells poor. her to go. And her brother tells her to go, and then she is going to... Okay. <laughs> that was bad. I like the ambiguous technology era, or whatever that was. That was, I think, the one and only highlight of it. Can we try... Good. Can we time it again? No. No. Ah, that's shoot! A, that, I think that's a keeper. Um, all right, we'll do... Okay, I'm going to time it this time. Okay, then. So it's about a dystopian society... Uh, American Singer, the main character, gets a letter that's basically inviting her to something like The Bachelor. There's a prince. She's going to go along with, I think it's 14 other girls. Correct me if I'm wrong. 35. 35 other girls. Well, 34. Oh, 34, 34 other. 34. 10 second warning. Um, oh, I need to restart. And then uh, you meet her family, and then you meet her boyfriend. And that's pretty much the first two And you're done. Yeah, we didn't really contribute that much, Matthew. That was a... Thirty well, seconds is a tough time to have. I, was like, yeah, I think thirty seconds it is, is too much. Too much. Too much. Well, uh, no, my, too little. Too little. Um, because we didn't touch on the fact that, as of the first few chapters, she does not want to go. By I think we did a little bit. If we should just yeah, write, we should write Tristan it out. Called her you can be like, American singer is the main character. We're meeting her. She's been um, invited American to a bachelor type. Okay. We're gonna talk about Selection all this. Series. We're gonna talk about all this as we go. The whole point of this she is she has thirty go. seconds to sing. You meet her boyfriend. Summary. Wow. 
and there's a casket system. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's let's just jump into the characters. Um, we skipped the setting. Let's just jump into the setting. <laughs> Good catch. Um. So where are we in the world? Well, what do we get from these first two chapters? Where we are. We're in a place that was America, was the United States, and is now called, is it pronounced Ilya? Ilya is, is what I've been pronouncing Or Alea? Um, that one's pretty. Just sounds like a League of Legends champion name. I would it say does. Ilya. I would say there Ilya. Is, there is an accent on the E. Yeah. yeah. Does anyone actually Ilya. know how to pronounce no. anything? Ilya. Okay. Well, we don't know no. what it's derived from. That's fair. Um, guess English. So... But there's an accent. We don't use accents. It could be in Latin. English. Anyways, Ilya for our Ilya. purposes. Ilya. So, Ilya is the country name. Uh, post Amer- United uh, States of America. Something has happened to dissolve the United States. Mm-hmm. There are now a, a grouping of country. Uh, I guess regions. Do we know the provinces? Yeah, provinces. Yeah. Um, America lives in one called Carolina, which is again how we kind of get this post America setting. Plus, her name was is America. So. Is America singer. So yeah, we do kind of get that tie Wait, into the, the the people in this in this country clearly know about the the country they live in and its history. And I guess there's some sort of reverence reverence to it. Um, maybe. Maybe. The weirdest thing about this world is, at first, I thought it was like a lot that technology had gone down a lot, but then. Like, just because the cover of the book has a girl in a princess dress and humans mentioning kingdoms and stuff, I was envisioning, like, medieval attire. And then I think it said T-shirt and jeans at one point, so that threw me for a loop. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is this this awkward, like, I don't want to say modern-day monarchy system, but it, it is. It is, yeah. it, It's a monarchy. Yeah. There, there is this monarchy set in place, and it is very modern-esque. But so far there's nothing to hint at that... I mean, this could come later, but so far it doesn't seem there's, like, super advanced technology or anything. No, no, and I don't think it gets too advanced. Something like a, like a Handmaid's Tale kind of thing? Yeah. Like, that's you, I think that's a good, yeah, yeah, that's a good one. Like, when you compare it to other YA, it definitely lacks in that kind of dystopian heavy technology. Um, outlook. Mm-hmm. You look at the Hunger Games, and they've got, like, hovercrafts and all these other things. Yeah. doesn't have any of that. Um, then you took it to other dystopian, like 1984, where there's surveillance everywhere. Clearly doesn't seem to have any of that, or at least if there is, um, America hasn't brought it up in any of her dialogues. Or something like The Giver, even? Yeah, just where yeah. it's this kind of force-fed um, like community in this, what we would generally picture as dystopian, and it really doesn't feel like that at all, and America doesn't frame it that way at all either. Like, she brings up the caste system, not so much as, like, we're being oppressed, but just, this is life. We yeah. are fives. It doesn't seem all that distinct. Dystopian. Yeah, it seems pretty... We don't really know if it's a utopian or dystopian society. It's yet. just a post-America society. Yeah, yeah, and I think it feels backwards looking to us as Americans because something like Parliament was in our past. And so going back to the idea of something like Parliament feels like we're moving back in time. Yeah. So it feels yeah. like a dystopian to us. But I don't know if it would be considered something like a dystopian society. So far, it isn't. No, it's just it's just kind of a, a world. This is life. Yeah, kind of place. Yeah. Uh, I, uh, Matthew, was it you who brought up the giver? Uh, that was Remy. Remy, yes. it it is very giver esque. Not necessarily in the utopian society, but the jobs. Yeah, um, the I mean the caste system, like Hunger mm-hmm. Games. I know uh, both of you mentioned that. Um, but I mean there is this there is this influence of the government on the people. Uh, in chapter two, it mentions the curfew. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so there is some influence that the government has over the people that they're, I don't, we don't know what kind of enforcement there is yet. We don't know if there is any kind of surveillance, uh, but there is that, that, uh, I guess, pressure from the, from the government to enforce this curfew. Kind of feels martial law-esque. Yes, very martial law. Um, they mentioned rebels too, um, mm-hmm. in the earlier bits of, um, chapter one. And they didn't really have, like, a big impact on America. But she was like, yeah, they, I think, vandalized some cars um, for, like, some twos in that cast. Uh, so we, you know it's not, like, a very... Like, it's not, like, a completely stable society. At least one faction or the other. But neither um, is ours. Yeah, fair. There's um, always rebels. <laughs> we also, like, uh, just to mention... <laughs> in, in Charlottesville, where I'm from, 
we had a curfew for under like if you were under eighteen, you had a curfew. I think yeah, that's everywhere what I, does. No, no. I, I mean, it's at least not enforced, but I'm pretty sure it's not even a thing everywhere. I, but I Indianapolis it, definitely has a curfew. Um, it's definitely very poorly enforced. Ours was pretty poorly enforced too, but it's we still knew of it. We were told about it. No one really went out after. Yeah, I remember kids in high school saying, like, take your parking passes off of your cars if you're driving around late at night, because if they see your parking pass, they might pull you over if you're driving around late. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, so maybe that being said, the curfew doesn't necessarily mean anything, since we still have that in America now. Yeah, yeah. Let's, uh, let's dive into the cast system a little bit more. I know we're going to be talking about numbers a lot throughout this review, and these numbers are going to correlate to the cast system in particular. Um, we don't get too much about all of the casts in these two chapters. We do know that fives. the fives, mm-hmm. uh, uh, the Singer family is a family of fives. Um, and the, the cast themselves are not like the Hunger Games, where each cast is a community that lives separately. It's all these casts live together in the province of Carolina. So a five lives next to a two, which lives next to a six, which lives next to a four, and so on. Um, but I think it is also important to mention though, that this is a cast on a system of like from one to eight, and the ones do not live next to everyone else. Well, if you think about like your neighborhoods, you wouldn't live in the same neighborhood as someone who would be considered a five or a six if you were a one. Like you wouldn't. I think yeah. the important thing, like, in that, though, is it shows, like, the population. Yeah. There is more of the lower cast, or I guess the higher numbers, than there are of the smaller numbers of the upper cast. Which <laughs> is That's gonna kind of true. That's going to get confusing for me. No, yeah. It's kind of true of how it is there's more people who would be considered lower cast than someone who's I think that's kind of how, how everywhere is. Because it wouldn't really balance itself out if there's so many people that are rich not enough people to support that. That's just kind of, I think, how societies end up mm-hmm. Actually, being tiered in themselves. Ones are the royal family. Yeah, Two's so I, I don't. We, it didn't get into that in these chapters, but the the ones are the monarchs themselves. Oh, um, the royal. And, and that is it. If you have royal blood, you are a one. If you're um, in the castle. Now, if, I believe it goes into that within the upcoming chapters, but, but that's actually, it's, 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 it's good to touch on now. Um, yeah, it actually talks about it a little bit because she talks about not wanting to be a one. I mean, I did guess that the monarchs were ones, but I didn't know the ones were exclusively the monarchs. Yeah, yeah so, so. so twos would be anything under monarchs, but soldiers, uh, it, it's also interesting to note that the generals. military is considered a two. Yes. Okay. Um, so, yeah, that's really... I mean, one thing I thought was weird was that it says all the artists are fives, right? Mm-hmm. When, mm-hmm. you know, nowadays, unless you're fitting the starving artist uh, stereotype, when you're a an artist, you're, it's kind of seen as like a fancy thing. Almost, almost like a celebrity yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so well, when you're it's like, worth noting that, yeah. though, that threes are uh, models, pop uh, singers. Okay. Uh, okay. Uh, the, the actual performing artists mm-hmm. that you would see on exhibits today, whereas the fives that the singers are, they're typically more of the, the bands that get booked at the bar. So the like an artisan. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, America but, equates yeah. herself to background. That, but that's really all we know about the fives is that they are more of the artisans um, of, of the society. So say that America ends up being a really good singer. Could she become a pop singer and then therefore become a three? Or would she have to marry into a three cast? Yes, she can work her way up because I know that in later chapters we meet a character that goes into the military and is moved up to a two or okay. a three. I can't remember. Yes, two but we don't I, we don't want to get in too too deep we're this early. But no. Yeah, we're, we're getting into that territory. But so that's, that, that's a little that different possible. because with the military you have things like drafts that actually require people to move up. Whereas yeah. this artisan type thing, there's already people filling the niche of pop singers mm-hmm. and, and, and such. But also, America doesn't have proper training. She doesn't have the money to get proper training. Um, so her singing is good, but it's not good enough mm-hmm. to be public. And besides, if we know anything from modern music, it's that singing quality is not a prerequisite to being a pop singer. 
typically also you see people move up through marriage. That's just the most. Yeah. Yeah. So actually. I mean, in life um, too. If you think about it. America's older sister, uh, Kenna, Kenna Singer. She, she's mentioned to have moved up to the status of a four because mm-hmm. she married a four. Um, now we don't know what fours do yet. Uh, we haven't heard what her husband does, but um, on that note, in chapter two, we're introduced to America's boyfriend, Aspen. who is he's kind of six. the other way. He's a six. <sighs> is it seen as bad that she, as a female, would be marrying down? Yeah. yeah. And it's not seen as bad if a male is marrying down. So males do not marry down. Males will always keep their number in this caste system. And I think, again, it explains it in just a yeah. couple chapters. And I don't think yeah. that's too, no. too spoilery. Women are the only ones that can move down. Yes. Uh, and, and in that sense, or it is up. very old-fashioned. Whereas uh, the the female will take the male's last name as well as the male's caste. Okay. Um, so wherever the male is, he's kind of stuck there. Yeah. So it's not seen as bad necessarily if he marries down because down as in... He, he, would, he would be bringing someone yeah. up, not going down. Yeah. Okay. Those air quotes were. Very I know. Audible. I I yeah. did air quotes and then noticed. <laughs> they said that um, or American mentions that it's pretty often for men of a lower caste to ask women of a higher caste. It's just very rare for them to be accepted. To say yes. Yeah. Um, because I mean, in that situation, you would have that the the, the woman's family supporting her as well. Mm-hmm. So. She does often mention, just so you can see, or we can talk about the difference between the two casts, she talks about how Aspen's family, her boyfriend, um, really, they really struggle to even put food on the table, if there even is food. Whereas her family, they struggle to get enough food, but they always have food to eat. Yeah. Yeah. So wait, there's eight levels? Yes. There are eight casts. And her, yes boyfriend's a six, a six. Yes. which are the the like, indoor s- workers indoor, indoor yeah. manual labor and then seven's outdoor manual labor yeah. correct and then our eights just slaves uh eights i think have been equated to oh. are they like prisoners are uh, they like the untouchables yeah the, the untouchables yeah because the, the eight are the people who they're, they're like in india you have the people who are considered oh it's not in divergent it's in india yeah <laughs> the what are they called in Divergent? Uh, I don't know, but they are like nothing. <laughs> oh, no, that's terrible. Um, that's not that terrible. is horrible. You ever, you so we'll touch on eights more in later chapters. Um, for right now, they're not hyper-relevant, but it does go to show that even at five, um, roughly midway through, just a little bit uh, under, like halfway through the uh, cast system, they struggle. They are considerably poor. Um, yeah. I don't understand how the these artists have more money than the, you know, services that need more. It seems seemingly is not paying attention and, or probably maybe intentionally to like supply and demand, right? Like, well, they, they actually are... do hit on that. Okay. At later. The very, no, at the very end of the chapter where they say that the singers get less work, but they get paid more. Whereas Aspen right. has a pretty continuous stream of like work. But he gets paid so much less. I'm not entirely sure why that is. I'm also, I think that this family is worse off than a lot of other sixes because they have seven Aspen seven. is the only one working. Is that yeah, correct? Yeah, the, the father died three years ago. And so yeah. he is the eldest of uh, the okay. six siblings. And so he is supporting both his mother and all of his younger siblings. Um, so that family in particular is very stressed. I but it's also worth noting. the kids work. A couple of them do, uh, but, but not, not all, of, all them. of them. No, not all um, of them. Does anyone have anything they want to talk about, just about int- being introduced to America? I, I do want to say how Cass brings America's name into it is very interesting. We don't actually know her name for the first about eight pages of the book. Uh, it's just this kind of unidentified narrator. Um, you actually learn her entire family's name about the rebels, the like confusion she has on certain holidays and like what the purpose of Halloween is before you learn her name. And even then, you don't have America introduce herself, but it's rather her mom calling her out, and then in the next line, calling her beautiful. Um, Which up to this point, you have no idea what America looks like in any fashion. Except Except for the cover. The cover. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, cover aside. um, But the cover's like a model, that's not her. It's just a kind of a way to visualize her. Yeah. 
But we know that she's obviously pretty attractive. At the very um, least, everyone keeps saying she is. Yeah, Granted. which I would think that would, you know. And then she thinks that May, her younger sister, um, is really attractive, and she knows that she looks like her. Anything else about America that we want to talk about? <sighs> Dumb nickname. Mayor. Mayor. I think Mayor's cute. It is cute. I mean, it's better than America. I know people name. that go by Mayor. So, I don't know. I, I kind of like it. Final bit about America, uh, before we get totally sidetracked, um, is the whole story is told from her point of view. Um, or at the very least, these first two chapters are a very concentrated first person. Um, and above that, it's all also told in past tense. And so this is essentially her telling or retelling you her encounter or life with the selection uh, from the title. And so everything that world building comes after is her voice in it. And I think that that's really important because um, you kind of see her internally in her thought process before you learn anything really about her. And then most of chapter two goes into how other people see her and um, the kind of pressures in that. Um, and it was just an interesting way to develop the character where the first thing she does is she's having a fight with her mom. And then that brings into her dealings with the rest of her family, and then with Aspen, um, all strictly from her point of view, and locked in that. And I think it was just a really cool way to bring her about and relevance in the story. Yeah, and I think that's interesting because it makes a lot more sense when you think about it in that way, with why her name wouldn't come up until the eighth chapter, and why she wouldn't talk about how beautiful she is, because it's flavored in her voice and her tone. And that's not what she thought about at that time. She was thinking about, my mom's being annoying. I want to see Aspen. I have to cook dinner for my family. Like, that's what she was experiencing, and that's what she talked about the most. Teenagers. <laughs> but I think an important thing to touch on that I noticed especially was this interesting symbolism of her name being America. So she's living in this parliamentary society, fighting against the system that should be telling her that she should do this thing, that this is the best opportunity for her would be the selection. And she doesn't see it as this great opportunity. She wants to kind of do her own thing in her own way. She wants freedom, fighting against this monarchy, and I just think that that is so interesting with her name being America. Yeah, that's such an, an American... Outlook. Yeah. Um, my first time reading, I distinctly... Uh... Because I have a tendency to like skip over paragraphs and then not realize it, then have to go back and read it, and I'm told it's common. Um, I don't know about that. Oh no, me too. Oh, perfect. Um, so I was reading it, and it like name dropped America, and I was like, wait, 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 wait. I missed something real important here. So I reread the paragraph above it just to be like, oh, that is that is her name. They're not referring to anything else. And I'm like, oh, America is so pretty, like you know, our countryside, but it, like her as a person. Um, I thought it was just like a really powerful name because up to this point you have maybe not normal names but more normal. Um, Kenna, Coda, May, Jared, Aspen, all these names and I was like okay you know they're on the just more like fun names. side but I've never met names a person. Names that you would see yeah. nowadays. Yeah um, but America's was like so distinct um, you have to think, at least at some level, her parents were like, she's going to be a protagonist. We're going to name her something she's real. She's going to be a protagonist. <laughs> I mean, that's what I'd want for my kids. But um, I thought it was kind of a, an interesting way to not only is the name drop a name drop, but it's America. And knowing Kira Cass, um, her primary audience was probably going to be American. So we already can identify with her, even at that fundamental naming level, which I thought was pretty cool. Is Kira Cass American? Yes. I believe so, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Also, at the risk of sidetracking more, didn't, didn't you say that she was religious? Your cast? Yes. Yes, she is. Okay, and is that something that's in a lot, like, not explicitly stated in her books, but that's has theming in her books? I don't think I really picked up anything. Not in the selection series, no. no. Um, I didn't pick up any... I mean, there might be, like, some very subtle undertones of uh, kind of higher having powers faith, helping lower powers, yeah. having faith in humanity. Um, not necessarily like Christian ideals, but I just the say. general religious faith and right right will always outdo wrong kind of yeah. uh, 
undertones. Do good, you'll receive good. Yes, the and just that kind of karma outlook. Yes. Yeah, we didn't really talk about Kier Cass much, um, but I'm sure we'll talk about her later as we uh, get into her writing. Mr. and Mrs. Singer. Um, honestly, kind of remind me of my parents just a little bit in the sense that my mom is the one that's hyper-engaged with the family. My dad will say, like, three words, and then I'm spent, like, the rest of the night contemplating that. Like, wait, 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 wait. He's upset. But is he upset with me? Is he upset with something, like, my siblings did? Like, where, where is this upset coming from? And is it relevant to me at all? Like, am I just getting egocentric about it? And maybe Mr. Singer was just, you know, had a bad day painting. And so that's why he was stressed at dinner with his, like, three words. Yeah. Um, but it does, like, mess with America a little bit. Meanwhile, uh, Mrs. Singer has, like, 12 monologues. Well, not really. She, it's oh, in, in her head, I'm sure it's at least 12. At least 12, maybe 14. Um, but America doesn't think twice about anything, like, uh, that her mom says. It's just... That surface-level understanding is about as far as she goes with it. Um, but it, it's worth noting that her mom does have the ability to take that kind of thinking and push it another step further. Um, she knows what she wants, and she's able to think ahead enough to have her actions produce that outcome. Yep. Um, she knows that reading the letter in front of the family at the dinner table puts pressure on America to actually say yes. Um, because one thing worth noting, the selection process does provide compensation for the family of the selectees, I guess, selectees? Yeah, that sounds yeah. about right. Um, so if America were to be chosen and go to the castle, her family would get paid for it. And it would be much more than her father makes painting. So there's not just this, oh, it could better your life. It's right now it will better our lives. But yeah, um, Mrs. Singer's kind of mentality about the money is something I'm kind of surprised we don't see more just throughout the board um because and you've seen chapter two aspen's real worried about her own happiness and like you know marrying down and like what they can provide but it's really just so that he feels like he's never held her back it has very little to mm -hmm. do with the fact that america might actually be selected but that he wants her to try so that he knows he tried to get her to do everything she could to better her own life um Meanwhile, Miss Singer is clearly in it for the money. Like, to call her a gold digger is kind of rude, considering she's a five. But it's, I think it's a very real reality. She's the one that has to figure out, you know, we have this much money. How do we stretch that into a source of food? My God, are you okay? <laughs> I'm fine. Poor B. <laughs> the, the chair fell apart. Carry oh on. I get a lot of Pride and Prejudice vibes from... Like Mrs. Bennett? Yes, Mrs. Mm. Bennett. From her mother. Someone... I can see that. Yeah. Maybe, maybe not so much as, like... Because Mrs. Bennett is very much like climb the social ladder. Mm -hmm. uh, and I don't feel like Mrs. Singer is that intense. She's more of do this for yourself, but also it really helps us. Yeah. Well, when America's talking about, um, wait, there are boys coming to see me? And the dad's like, yeah, they have been for a little while now. Um, Miss Singer's like, but my girls are too pretty to marry fives. Uh, Kenna got a four and you guys can do even better. And that's True. a that's a two cast jump in a society where, as far as we can tell, moving cast is not only rare but like difficult. Mm -hmm. And so she expects her daughters, because they're pretty, to be able to make a two cast jump. Um, yeah, and I guess that does put a lot of stress on America, just to be expected to yeah. do better as a middle child too. Mm -hmm. Like it doesn't really talk about. We, let's talk about the other singers too. Oh yeah. Um, so the eldest two, Kenna and Coda, uh, we know Kenna married a four. She no longer married, or she no longer lives with the family. Uh, Coda is a sculptor. He's the uh, older brother. He doesn't live with the family anymore. We don't know any other information about him. That's really all they give us. Uh, May is a thirteen-year-old painter. He, she works with Mrs. Singer, uh, just a couple years younger than America. Um, I know she's really outgoing and hopeful and very bubbly. Uh, Jared, he's only six. He's the youngest of the singers, and he has not found his calling in the arts yet. Uh, said he's tried instruments. He's no good at it. He's tried painting and sculpting. He's no good at it. Uh, and he's just trying to find his role as a five. He's also six. Is everyone in this world a savant? Well, apparently. Well, yeah, I'm, you can learn with enough. If you know I have to do something in some subset of things... And you try them all, and you hope that you have some sort of natural inclination towards one. But if you don't, 
then you pick one that you like and you have to study it for a long time. So Yeah, and I, I think it kind of brings us back to like the Renaissance ideals of, of perfecting your trade. I mean, Renaissance artists were expected to get accepted into a, a, a school or uh, under one of the masters at the age of 14 to 15. But in order to do that, they had to produce a work worthy enough for that master to say, yes, you're good enough, you understand the basics, uh, and I'll, I'll teach you how to better those. So by 13 or 14, these artists, I guess, are expected to have a general knowledge of their subject matter in order to better themselves. I don't know if it's taking it all the way back that far to the Renaissance ideals, but there is this pressure that the family needs to get paid, everyone needs to be working, so the faster you do that, the easier the family gets. It's just the family trade. Like, I feel like if you're just taught anything from basically birth, you'll be good enough at it to be passable. Um, even if it's not like you're calling, you're not a savant. Uh, let's, let's move on and just talk about Aspen really quick. Um, chapter two. Uh, actually, let's talk about his entrance in chapter one. Uh, what kind of a creep entrance is that? Hey I there, don't, gorgeous. Don't think it's a creep. Oh my god. It's your boyfriend of two and a half years. No, 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 no. No, no, no. Before you know that. Before you know that. End oh, of chapter one. Yeah, la okay. The last entire last page. America is climbing the ladder to this teeny tiny treehouse. There's a light burning with inside. With a plate of food. With a plate of food. And the way she explains it is kind of creepy. She's no longer alone in this place. There's it some... could have been a talking dog. Could we have anything. no idea. But then it just says three words. Hey there, gorgeous. Like, It's mysterious. It's creepy. <laughs> Maybe that works for you. I was not a fan, especially coming from this. This is America's point of view, which we can safely assume, like, we're knowing what she knew at that time, because it's past tense. But, like, yeah, she might have, like, suspected it was Aspen, but it was not made clear. She's not like, I'm going to rendezvous with my secret boyfriend. I don't know. I, it made me feel weird. Now, hey, it makes you want to read the next chapter. It does. Yeah. It does. Right. There is a lot in this first chapter, and this definitely makes you turn the page and start chapter two. Uh, so in chapter two, we learn about Aspen. Throwing it back to name symbolism, because I feel like it's very obvious in this book <laughs> what these characters are supposed to be doing. Aspen, which is the name of a tree, and that's the first thing that came to mind when I heard Aspen. Well done. And trees are, you know, reliable, strong, steady, set in their ways, not moving like we've talked about, that he's a male, he won't be moving casts. She would be moving down to him. Kind of one of those things that I think really sets the tone, which I guess is what a name is supposed to do, for his entire character and what he can really bring to America, which I think is a reliable person, but someone that will, like, a tree grow slowly. He's not going to make a lot of, a lot, pretty much the whole time they're together. But he will be... But he will always be there for her, yes. In her mind. And, like, he, he'll, he'll never change. He's the type of person that what you see is what you get. Mm -hmm. And no matter how shitty the world is or no matter how shitty things change and whatever might be happening in your life, he will always be there the same. Which I think makes America very comfortable with him. So I can understand her draw to someone like that. That he is her solidarity in this world that she... I have a sense that... Although it's normal, it is kind of, it's a tough time because she's all, she knows that her family is trying to provide for food, his family is trying to provide for food, he is her rock, her tree. Let's move on to talk about the other character that got their name dropped uh, in these chapters, uh, Prince Maxon. Really, Aspen is the only one who describes him in any way other than talking about him like strictly as the prince, and he says... Yes, I mean, we've all seen the prince from time to time. He looks like a nice enough guy. A snot, no doubt, but friendly. Um, and that's really all the character development we get on him. But it, it does, like, speak to Aspen A6 is not, like, against him. Like, we clearly, like, rules Aspen out as, like, maybe a rebel. Um, as someone who, like, dislikes um, the ruling party. He's like, you know, I don't like him, but, like, he seems like a nice enough dude. Well, not only that, but someone in a lower caste like a six yeah. actually knows what the ruling prince of the country looks like and has somehow seen him enough to at least develop an opinion of him. Yeah. Whereas, you know, I mean, nowadays, at least the Queen of England, she's all over the TV. But, I mean, back in the day, to see royalty was once in a lifetime. 
unless you just lived right next to the castle. But even then, you hardly ever saw them because they hardly ever left. So there, we get the sense that Maxon has, is somehow... He has his image out in the country. Yep. Um, and it goes into all of that later on, but I think it's it's good to point out that the royal family has ties to all the castes in all the provinces. They have a presence yes. with the poor people. Somewhat of a Marjorie from Game of Thrones. Yes. In my from what I'm imagining after two chapters that they know about him, that he's been there to kind of help them through some things, and that's pretty much it. I mean that's all we really know about him from these first few chapters. They were not Maxon centric by no, any stretch. Not at all. Um, so let's talk about the selection process really quick. What we got from these two chapters. So what does he have to choose a princess from this group of females, or can they hold another selection if he doesn't like it? We any don't of them? know that yet. Okay. Um, At the very least, in the first few chapters, it doesn't mention there ever having been a second selection. Um, right now, it's just in um, America's opening monologue, like it's the selection. Like the, yeah. this is this generation's shot. I will say it, it does get into it. Kierkegaard gets into it a little further. Okay. Um, couple chapters later so we do kind of understand the dynamic of the selection as the book goes on um, and even more so as the series goes on and I just want to get kind of a feeling from you guys do you think Aspen is being selfish by telling America that she should join or send in an application how you... so like how would he be being selfish because he says that he doesn't want to feel like he's holding her back from anything that he could get but he's also he's a six he's realistic it's random. Does he really think that her out of everyone in their entire region is going to get chosen? No. Like, there's no way that he could think. That's why I think she's really pretty. Because I think that he's it like, you have a random. shot. Aspen, but it's random. Aspen knows he's holding her back somehow. So I think that's, yeah. I think that's relatively evident in the second chapter. If anyone's the selfish person, it's her. Because she goes... Her family gets paid whether she wins or not. Like, like, you know, so let's, I mean, we can tell she's going to go because the kind of book it is. Real yeah, boring yeah, book yeah. otherwise. Yeah, but. <laughs> she just doesn't go. And the rest <laughs> of four books are great yeah. after she declines to go. It's, yeah. it's amazing. It's actually her just reviewing the selection. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But let's, let's see in her mind, right? If she, she goes, even if she doesn't win, it says her family will be paid. So why not put your name in? Go, eat some food, get some money for your family, sneak a little to your boyfriend, you know, and then throw it in the last bit. But my thing is, he, it's, I feel like it was stated pretty clearly that he's telling her to go to make himself feel better. Nah, he's just telling Because he's saying, I don't want to be holding you back, and if you don't go, I'm going to feel like it was my fault. So he's kind of doing it knowing, she, like, obviously she does go, but in his mind, knowing there's a much higher chance than not that she's not going to go, and then she's not going to hold that against him later saying, oh, I could have been a princess. No, I think he's just telling her because he's. if it seems selfish because it seems like he's looking out for himself in that way, he's just doing it because he knows that's the thing that'll make her go is him wanting her to. Also, like... Let's take for a minute that Aspen is honest, and he is, as you see, what you see is what you get, as we, like, uh, presume. His life is terrible. Uh, like, he works nonstop all day to provide for a family um, that he still wants to give some sense of normalcy. Uh, like, he doesn't want his younger sisters cutting out their, like, extra, like, curricular so that they can work. Um, he doesn't want them to do that, so he takes extra shifts. And... If he really loves America, um, why would he want to bring her to that? Why would he want to, like, drag her down? And so while she is set on becoming his wife, I think he's kind of hoping against hope, like, hoping despite himself that she will get better, because I think he believes she deserves better. I think he, I think that they are in love, but I think that he's being realistic where he's like, I, I love you so much that I would never wish this life on you. But also, like you said, it's random. What are the chances that she goes in his mind, right? So mm -hmm. so she might as well just try, try and make sure yeah. that he, she can't 
hold it against him in the future. Yeah, but, kind of the best of both worlds between yeah. it, like, helping himself out a little, helping her out a little. So, did you guys have any questions about... I mean, I have a couple general questions that I don't know if can it can be answered if I missed them, or if they're just rhetorical and we can philosophize about them. Um, do we know how Aspen and America met? Is it just because they're neighbors or family? That family families friends? are friends. Yeah, family friends. Uh, okay. It goes into it a little bit more, again, but that's, but that's all we yeah. know really is family friends. It doesn't really go into that because no. it's not that important. The, yeah. the way it kind of the way. Cass kind of alludes to it is that the Ledgers have always been in America's life, and Aspen has always been the Ledger's mm-hmm. eldest son. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think it goes briefly into Aspen was friends with her older brother. Oh, kind yes. of. They're, yeah, they'd that. be about the same age. Uh, her older brother would be a little older than Aspen, but he's kind of just always been there. Mm-hmm. Um. And then there was a really interesting part where Aspen pays America a penny for singing to him. What do you guys think about that? Or about that In a word, I think that's pride. Um, In the sense that America is literally feeding him. It's like, uh, when they meet up at night, she brings him food and says it's our meal. Take a small bite of the apple so that he won't feel bad eating the rest. Because he doesn't have enough, and what little he does have, he passes off. Yeah. And so... You know, he has to be this provider guy, and he wants to provide for her, wants to make her life better. I think it's pride where, like, he doesn't have the money to spare, but he wants to give her something back to make it feel like this really is, like, a mutual exchange. I definitely just thought it was because the author wanted to have something cute between them. The, the You'll see more of a significance with the, the penny jar that she keeps of all the pennies that he's given her. Yeah, oh, so something cute. Yeah, it is something cute it that is happens something. between but, them. But there, that, cause this, we'll see more of it. Does it go into what she does with the penny, or does it end it with her just getting paid? I think she just puts it, she in, puts a it in a jar. She puts it in a jar. She, I think she rattles it a little bit. Just she so rattles it, and sound. there are other pennies in there. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so whenever he has spare change, he does give it to her. And, it, and she can't even bring herself to spend it, because it's it's like the only thing that he can give to her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's more of a, a sentiment from her keeping the pennies than he is giving it to her. Uh, I don't remember if Aspen knows about the penny jar or not, um, especially at this point in the book. But based off like just chapter two, Aspen, I feel like he'd be upset that she doesn't spend it. Yeah, because um, mm-hmm. I could see that he would want her to then like take this thing that she provided him a service uh, of like singing to him, like basically their whole relationship um and then spending it on something for herself to make herself happy and then by extension it's like aspen gave her you mm-hmm. know whatever she bought or aspen afforded her to have a day with her sister where they you know i don't know if they have a mall but they go to the mall and get their nails on or whatever they do mm-hmm. um it would be like aspen's gift to, to them mm-hmm. based off their whole relationship and that america just kind of hoards the money capitalist can you imagine (laughs) can you imagine the backstabbing if she spent it on something for him and gave it back to him (laughs) i definitely think (laughs) like what would first be such a print like a nice gift would just (laughs) i definitely think it's more symbolic because how much will a penny buy yeah exactly nothing how much will a hundred pennies buy maybe a candy bar yeah and it i think it makes it clear he He's not giving her a hundred pennies because he doesn't do it every time they meet. Yeah, it's only. I think it is more for the symbolism of it because I think he knows that a penny isn't enough, but he, with his pride, wants to give her something, and that's and it means so much to her because she knows it's all he has. Maybe Mm -hmm. she could buy one of those small packs of gum when you're exiting a Mexican restaurant. You know the kind of yeah, the little like chick. Uh, yeah, they're like chiclets, but chiclets. better. Yeah, not to be like I, but for one, we don't know how currency works, and for That's two, true. we don't know that Mexico is still a thing. <laughs> for like, yeah, I know Mexican food cuisine, but like, where would that fall in the caste system? <laughs> the the alien chiclets. The Mexican food restaurant owners—they're actually <laughs> we, caste zero. <laughs> oh, oh. They have transcended the system. <laughs> it, it's just those kind of things where it's like, okay, how much is the same and how much is different? 
that's been things they named drop China um, and like mm-hmm. Ilya's mm-hmm. treaty with him. So clearly we are like in our world, at least in some way. And, like that was alluded to before, but like it's very solid. Like this is our link. Um, yeah. Do you not remember her stepbrother Mexico and her step- <laughs> stepsister Canada? <laughs> uh, you are one hundred percent going to confuse those playing along at home. Um, <laughs> but yeah. Do you have any other questions? Um, I don't think so. I guess my question would be, would you do it? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. If, if, I don't know, yeah, I would totally do it. Um, even just to, for the chance to probably see the inside of the castle, because I'm sure no one has. So just more of like a, this is a once in a lifetime opportunity. Yeah. yeah. It's all, this, this mean, is only offered mention... to teenagers between the ages of 16 mm-hmm. to 20. Once a generation. Once a generation. So you're very lucky. To just fall in that category. Mm-hmm. And then if you get there... If you do manage to get there, and you don't like it, you take it as long as you can, and then you throw the competition. You're you, like, cuss out, cuss out the prince, um, make a national fool of yourself. Well, you don't want to be a... Totally. You don't want a target on your back. Maybe, like, pick your nose at dinner or something. Dishonor your family. <laughs> Dishonor uh, like your family. Two different Go spectrums Be really here. bad in the fantasy suite. Yeah. <laughs> oh, here we go. <laughs> Her dad does not give him per- permission to <laughs> take her hand during hometowns, and therefore he must let her go. So essentially, oh, the we all should be on The Bachelor and Bachelorette, uh, yes. everyone on this podcast. I'm curious about Preferably how the not dad, together. how would America's dad tell the prince of the country, no, sorry, not good enough. <laughs> like, I don't know, he's a man of few words, so I feel like he'd, I mean, he'd so t- far he seems like a man of few words, I feel like he might just go, Ugh. He'd grunt at the prince of this very That's, that's quality content, yep. <laughs> Wait, let me get closer to the mic. <clears throat> well, that's going to be fun to edit. Ooh. Have fun with that, Kevin. Caveman ASMR here. Okay. <laughs> Can you just turn that into, like, a beatbox? <laughs> I am not that talented. All right, that's it. Okay, uh, let's just end it with a little bit of how we liked Cass's writing. Um, I know a couple of us wrote some things down a little bit. Um, I'll get us started. One of the big things that Cass used in these two chapters to introduce this world and to introduce the plot is just dichotomy and tension. Um, with She always used this kind of like feely good subject and then immediately brought in the conflict and the tension within the same category. But it's like normal life. No, it is. Like the tension happened at the dinner table after she hadn't seen her mom for the whole day. And then all of a sudden there was this source of tension, the selection, and her mom had a very intense view, and she had a very intense view, and they were completely different, and so it happened in such a normal setting over something that's so abnormal, which I like. No, yeah, and that's why I like Cass. You could relate so much to, like, I mean, I related so much as a daughter, and Remy, you probably do too, where you're talking to your mom, and you're having an opposite opinion, but you just you just are going to have to agree to disagree because it's just not going to happen. Yeah, so not only is that a dichotomy between what she wants and what her mom wants, it's a a dichotomy between the normal situation of being at a dinner table eating dinner with your family and something as fantastical and hard to imagine as a selection. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, that is why I like Cass so much as an author is because she does this so well that you can just relate to it, even though it's this fantastical, fictional world. Can that... you relate to it as a male? Because I, I feel know like it's, I feel it. like it's a little a little more difficult. Yeah. Um, because it is a, a female author writing about a female character. I don't want to say in a very female like voice. No, I think so. But... I think it's a very feminine voice. I don't know. Yeah. I relate to it because everyone argues with their mom. Yeah. Well, yes. The, the in that situation, family yeah. conflict. Um, that like as far as for me, like yeah, no, that tracks. Um. I kind of get where Aspen's coming from, like, with the pride thing. Like, if you've ever been in a situation where you're supposed to have a certain role and you just don't. In fact, you have the opposite of that role. And you just kind of feel like you're letting everyone else down. Like, it doesn't have to be in a relationship, but let's say in a group project. And you're like, my strong suit is I'm a great speaker. But for some reason, you can't speak, you know, the day of the presentation. And now you have to do this, like, subpar job elsewhere. And everyone is just more stressed because of it. And you feel like you let them down. I can kind of get that, and I feel like that's really where Aspen's come from, where he's like, he wants the best for them, he just knows he's not the best for them. Yeah. 
For sure. Or thinks he's not the best mm-hmm. one of them. Now, yeah. Cass did a lot. With, with just, like, if, if we're going to talk, uh, touch on voice, um, for me, I'm not really seeing it so much as Cass's voice, but, like, how Cass uses America's voice, which is all we get. Um, and part of that comes from a first person in past tense is you can imagine this pretty easily as a retelling of you know her events with the selection and so everything that goes through it is like what mattered to her um, and what matters to America and so like she touches on some pretty kind of extreme things that we didn't even talk about she doesn't know what Halloween is yeah how many generations down do you have to go where that wouldn't even be like school bus knowledge Um, and then she was like, yeah, with Christmas, it's still in the same place. Um, but cause that's only cause it's hard to change the, like the date of a deity's birth by calling it a deity. You have already removed God from like religion from like the central part of like the community. And it's, Um, I'm, I'm sorry, just to touch on that before we move from that point. It's also interesting because Christmas is put in the day it's in. Because it took the place of another holiday that was already being celebrated. And it was easy to just kind of overwhelm that holiday with Christmas and keep it in the same I don't know. I think area. The, I think that she's, because she said that it's hard to change the date of a deity's birth. Like, that almost more solidifies it as about re- religion and stuff. Because if they were trying to get away from that, they would just stop with that if they were able to make people True. forget what halloween was you know but the point is um at least the point i was trying to like go with is through america's voice cast is a lot of world building in a really i think it's a pretty clever way in the sense that like she can just drop these things and it it comes across to us as no more than just idle musing um but like when you actually start to look at okay thematically world building wise what is going on that's a huge topic that we could go back and forth on for another hour. Like, what role does religion, you know, in these kind of themes that we know Kira Cass personally does think a lot about, have in her world? And it's just by using America's voice, it matters so much that it doesn't. Um, same with the rebels. Probably a super important thing. But, like, we hear about, like, terrible things in America or just things that happen where you could almost equate it to, like, rebel culture. And we don't give it two seconds thought, and that's a real relatable um, sense and like truth. But it does a lot just to explain, you know, where America stands on it. She doesn't hate the rebels; she's just like they exist. Yeah, and I think that's interesting coming from a sixteen-year-old. So when you're sixteen, you think about being a high school junior. Um, you're not thinking about the wars that your country's putting on or whatever's going on. You are thinking about your boyfriend. You're thinking about the conflicts you're having with your family. So you're you're 16, and you and these things might pass through your head, like as just general knowledge you have. Like, oh, there are rebels, just as it may pass through our heads of, oh, there's conflicts in Syria, but it's not one of those things that we're actively thinking about or would devote a lot of time to. But she does strategically put them there in this these sort of expositional chapters to give us an idea of what is happening throughout the world i just want to hit on real quick that the world building really only happened in chapter one. Oh yeah chapter two was all aspen. aspen that's about it and yeah as much as aspen is america's world the setting itself was built all in chapter one so to do all of that in the span of one chapter and to intrigue the reader enough to make them not stop reading it takes a lot of skill and education to do that. So I think it speaks a lot on Cass as an author. Yeah, I just hope she explains more. Because if, it, if it's constant, oh, there's these little hints, but you don't get to learn anything about it. It just becomes two things. The world becomes blurry, and that you don't really have context for things. And it just is frustrating. You, it makes you want to put you it get, down. You get more context. Do. I don't know if you get a lot of context in the first book because you learn so much about the castle but you do get to learn more about their whole the way it works yeah so this first book kind of reminds me of Downton Abbey a little bit if you guys have ever seen that in the sense that in the first episode there really is no introduction you're just thrown into this environment and you're expected to know everyone's names already even though 
especially here in America, we're not familiar with English actors. So we don't know, like, oh, that's uh, such and such playing so-and-so. Like, you're just kind of expected to learn as you go. And or, so, some, or something like, like Game of Thrones. Yeah. Yes. It's game where of you're, just, you're just thrown into the middle of what ends up being a giant family versus family thing, and you just kind of learn along your way. You just have Which to go is with a family feud, if you will. Yeah. Hey! Really? Not a sponsor. <laughs> Not a sponsor. Yeah. I guess I just have, like, kind of one question, one last question from me, if anyone else has any other ideas. Mostly for Tristan and I, because we aren't already diehard fans of Kira Cass. I've only been exposed to 24 pages of her writing of this world. Do you like it so far? How do you... Your honest... Yeah. Bear it all opinion. It's fine. <laughs> Tristan, everybody. I mean, it's there's not much to go off of. It's fine. It was able to hold my interest for 24 pages, but that's, that's something I actually probably give it credit for because if, if I had, like, never read the Aragon series... And you were telling me to read two chapters of it now, when I have all this stuff, other stuff going on, I probably wouldn't. I'd be able to, but I wouldn't necessarily do it with a smile. Mm-hmm. It's digestible. Yeah. 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 I think my view on it is that I like that it's very easily readable. I think that that translates, uh, maybe I'm looking too far into it, but something into, you're in this big cast system you're a five, so maybe you're not as literate as someone that is a two or a three, and the book is still accessible to you. It's also written for a teenage audience, so that could have something to do with it. It's hard for them to stomach something that's very complex, especially when you're spending a lot of your high school career reading a lot of weird, complex things, mm-hmm. Shakespeare and whatever. Um, I definitely still have reservations. I don't think I'm completely pulled in yet, because I think the character's seem kind of cliche as of right now a lot of them are i can kind understand of, that yeah and a yeah. lot of them oh, are yeah. fitting into it's like oh a girl who doesn't realize how beautiful she is gets pulled into a dystopian society where she meets a prince and i'm sure they fall in love and then she'll have some sort of falling out with her mysterious boyfriend she's not supposed to be with anyway and her mom is pushing her to do this obviously there's a lot more depth because we've been talking about it for an hour and a half or however long this has been um but from just sitting down and reading it, on the surface, I'm, I'm hoping, and I'm sure that this happens, that the characters get a lot more depth, yeah. complexity, um, and I'm excited and anxious to kind of get that from them. I will say, if you can get me to read a book and not put it down, that is a feat in itself, because I do not like reading books that are boring. Well, and why would you read a boring book? Well, right? exactly. That defeats the purpose. But I know yeah. a lot of people that... Entertainment can read so many different types of books and then I'll pick it up and I'll, I'll read like the first two pages and I'll be like that's boring I'm never I'm never picking it up again. Yeah, the only reason I can imagine reading a boring book is if your friends make you read it for a podcast but nah. <laughs> Okay, shots fired. Oh, um, <laughs> I said it was fine. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, sure you did. Um personally, uh when I first read through all the books, I'm a stress reader and so I read um one book like, I'd read the entire book in one day, yeah, and it'd be the day before I have a test. Um, so in truth, I retained very little, and it was only after, like, going back and rereading in preparation for this that I was, instead of reading as a reader, reading as a writer, and looking at all the things mm-hmm. Kierkegaard did, and with character development, and world building, all those kind of things, um, this is, like, I'm getting a lot more, like, enjoyment out of it from the second reading than I ever did the first one, because before, I was... I was skipping, like, full paragraphs just to, like, race to the end to avoid real-life problems. Um, and so it was nice that it was digestible and easy to relate to, because I didn't put any thought into it. But it's also nice that, going back, I can get more out of it. And so, kind of jealous of you guys who, on a first reading, can get all that, and you've got all of us to bounce ideas off of, too. Because <laughs> um, I'm sure you're going to get more out of it than I ever could have. And that is a testament to her writing that you can go through its surface level and be like, that was a good book, and then put it down. Or you can dissect it and be like, these are the undertones and the symbolism and the dichotomies and really break it apart, and it still be worth its salt, you know? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I I think we'll go into it a little bit uh, next time, if we carry this on, uh, where where each of us is coming from, either reading this for the first time or rereading it. Um, 
then we'll kind of go into how each of us as individuals are looking at this book. Um, but, I mean, we'll hit that next episode. I think this is a good stopping point, though. Um, Thanks for listening. Yeah. Thanks for listening. We'll go ahead and read the next two chapters, chapter three and four, and uh, we'll sit down and do this again. After Disney? Yeah. At some point. Either within a week and a half or within two and a half weeks. Yeah. I doubt this is getting posted now, so. No, I'm sure live stream. Segments. This is live stream. Yeah. We'll see how this goes. It'd be a lot easier yeah. to edit if it was live stream. All right. You don't shut the microphone. You have to have post episode content. Well, Kevin. he does. He's got post probably two he hours pre of post. content. I was going to have a great line about how Matthew talks about books like I talk about food. How, well, maybe. How do you talk about food? Just like we just talked about the book. Oh. But about every ingredient. <laughs> yeah. Or every uh, hot if sauce. We did, honestly, if we did cheesecake, I would be the same. I don't like cheesecake, so okay, I will be. Will not, I will just continue saying that it's cheese in a cake form, and that is gross. Yeah, you are little, eating a block of cream cheese and calling it dessert. Yeah, a little. That fat. is gross. Yeah, yeah a little. Fat. Fat.